which I just think is bullshit. But like, anyway, we're not talking about men. Um, I. <laughs> Nellie said, "This is Little Women." <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens, our podcast where we talk about feminism and pop culture. I'm Nellie. And I'm Pate. This week, we're easing our way into the holiday season with one of my favorite movies that hit theaters last Christmas. That's right, we're talking about the 2019 film adaptation of Little Women, written and directed by Greta Gerwig. The 2019 version is the seventh film adaptation of the 1868 novel of the same name by Louisa May Alcott. It chronicles the lives of the March sisters, Joe, Meg, Amy, and Beth in Concord, Massachusetts during the 19th century. It stars an amazing cast, including Sarah Sharonin, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Eliza Scanlon, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Meryl Streep, and so many other fantastic, oh my gosh, I almost just sounded Midwestern when I said fantastic. So many other fantastic actors. We're excited to dive into this film today. During the month of December, we will be tackling holiday movies as we get closer to Christmas. Um, While this holiday season is looking much different than it has in the past, we hope that watching some of your favorite movies and listening to the pod can help lift your spirits. Please follow us on Instagram at Feminist Fiends and let us know if you have a favorite TV show or movie that you're watching that you want us to talk about. Or you can even come on the pod and talk about it with us. Um, feel free to message us or reach out to one of um, us. I just said us three times. We're excited to lay out some plans for the new year, but we'd love your input. Don't forget to stay tuned to the end of the episode for some action items and resources. So now, without further ado, court jesters, let's dive in. Sorry, I just was looking at my Instagram poll because I said, who's more dramatic, me or Posey? And some guy from my high school that I haven't spoken to in five years who is like crazy and engaged and posts really scary Bible verses every day said me. And I'm like, Mr. Oh my God, fans, you know Posey now from last episode. Let us know who's crazier. Oh no, my Kate or Posey. Um, this is my second time watching this adaptation of women. Um, I've seen no other adaptations of Little Women, so I don't know why I added that. But well, I've seen I've seen the nineteen ninety four version. I want I think clips, it has Christian Bale. Yeah, and um and Renona w- Ryder yes. and little Kristen Dunst. Winona Ryder, yeah, so I was thinking of. So I watched some of the clips on YouTube, but um I first watched Little Women in first and like it was it was kind of hard to keep up back and forth and back and forth so this time I was able to pick up on things and I think it's different your third and fourth time watching it because the second time you're watching it is the first time you watch it and what's gonna happen. Can I share a fun fact while we're talking about the like back and forth between like Please. I guess like future and past. Nothing is present because it's all past, really. But I, I almost think of well, I guess childhood and adulthood. The, the, because like, even though they're it's the same actress and they're play, they're like twenty three year olds playing like eleven year olds. It's still like the 
childhood versus adulthood like flashbacks but fun fact is that when they were filming it this I learned like shortly after when I so I've seen this I saw it in theaters twice and then I've seen it like probably three or four times since then so I've seen it five or six times it's like one of my favorite movies but I when I saw it in theaters like afterwards I watched a bunch of interviews just because like I like I said in the Twilight episode last week like once I like the bug is bit for me it can like really be bit and I'll be like obsessed about things but that was obviously not the case for Twilight but it was the case for Little Women so I was watching this interview with Greta Gerwig and she was talking about how they filmed um I don't know if you knew this Kate but they filmed childhood through a like colored lens that had like it was like a rosier lens so it was like warmer in the um like the lighting was warmer and then it was like a little bit colder in adulthood so it's like the warmth of childhood which I just think like that like there are just certain things and also like there are different like color clothing associated with each girl um which I think like you already can kind of tell but like I think at every time you see the movie again you you're able to like follow it more and pick up on these little details that Greta very much like played into I think especially the warm lighting thing plays into how it's very much like a cozy and lighthearted film at its core but it also engages in pretty in a pretty deep conversation about some complex societal problems and I think that's worth us talking about so like what issues does little woman call into question are there any that like come, like any particular scenes that come into mind? Well, I I picked up on the lighting like that the second time around. It was even more helpful to see that and distinguish pre or they're all past, but pre more present to like childhood past because of the orange versus the blue. Um, but I hadn't noticed the colors worn by the characters, and I feel like that's something I'll look into. Yeah, I think, like, if I'm remembering correctly, I think, like, Meg is green, and then Joe is, like, a, I think Joe's, like, a reddish color, and then I think Beth usually is kind of, like, a purpley color, and then I believe Amy's blue. Amy's for sure blue. Amy's definitely blue, and Meg is definitely green, and then I think Beth and Joe are kind of just, like, um, yeah. like, 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 red. like red, purpley tones. Because her book is red at the end. Mm-hmm. Symbol. Mm -hmm. Yep. English major. <laughs> but she can't spell. <laughs> but ask me to spell restaurant. I simply cannot. Restaurant. Well, yeah, just kind of like what I was drawing on earlier. I think that it talks about, like, the construct of marriage, um, both as... Well, okay. I think for the sake of this episode, we should talk largely about the film, but I also think we can't talk about Little Women without talking about the novel. And so you and I, before we started recording, talked about how the the novel really is like a memoir about marriage. Is that the language you used? Manifesto. A manifesto of marriage. Marriage manifesto. Um, but I also think like it talks about whether or not... Um, just like marriage and also how marriage is an economic proposition as well as just like the role of women in general. Um, I, I, I would argue actually, I would critique the film and the fact that it doesn't really talk about this enough, but that's more a critique of the story as a whole, because there's definitely 
um, you could definitely make the argument that Little Women is like a white feminist story, very much so, because I was reading an article, here, let me find it. I was reading an article by um, Caitlin Flanagan, which is, it was in The Atlantic, and it's titled Little Women's Real Feminist Problem. And she is overall like relatively, um, she gives the film its praise, but then she also says, um, oh my gosh, wait, quote, if ever there were an illustration of white feminism, it has to be Joe's excitement at getting the better of a male publisher while 700 miles to the South African-American women her age were confronting the new black codes and all that came with it. So like, obviously, and again, we're probably getting to her argument faster than we need to, but I just think like the triumphs of Little Women and like, especially the changes between the the movie and the film are huge, but it also is, um, it's only feminist to the point of, to that circumstance. And it doesn't really take into account intersections of identity at all and also for the sake that it's like happening during its time there are like little tones of acknowledging that like the civil war is happening and like there's that scene between marnie and her co-worker co-volunteer who is a black woman who was like marmie was like i've spent my whole life ashamed of my country or something like that and um the woman the black woman was like oh well with all due respect ma'am you should still be ashamed um and or embarrassed I don't know what the exact word is and she was like no definitely or something um and so in that it's kind of like acknowledging the injustice that's happening and how like they're on quote-unquote the right side of history but at the same time like it is this light-hearted and warm story about women and sisters in a house like white women and sisters in a household and not necessarily acknowledging the but again like I I do think considering like I do think the film adaptation did a relatively good job at um playing into this while also like speaking about the social issues while also staying true to the story as best possible but if that is too much of like the beef of our of an argument I can put it at the end <laughs> um if it makes sense because I think no, I feel like it's like a nice little outline of what we're going to talk about like obviously we're going to talk about marriage and like how each character kind of finds themselves either wanting it not wanting it etc and then also like we're gonna talk about how it has a lack of diversity and it's super white feminist but you know I think we've also done this in like Legally Blonde and other movies like can we still love these feminist films or quote-unquote films can they still be empowering or feminist even if they are lacking in diversity. Yeah. Um, but we have questions for all of that and we'll get to it. Great. I actually think we might as well, I actually think it could make sense to talk about marriage first. So if you want to ask your question about that, um, okay. unless you want to go a different direction, but. No, I'm totally fine. So um, Joe and Meg are very opposite in their dreams as Joe tries to talk Meg out of marrying John. But Meg responds with, just because my dreams are different than yours doesn't mean unimportant. This still resonates with many women today as many women don't believe feminism includes stay-at-home moms or wives. So Nellie, how would you respond to that? Or what are your thoughts on that? I'm so glad you wrote this question, Pete, because 
I think it so well articulates something that came up for me. And I think it does really relate well to many of the other conversations that we've had on this podcast, especially even related to like, I, I don't know that I would ever draw so many connections between Twilight and Little Women. But I think yesterday I was like, why is, or not yesterday, God, why do I keep doing that? I keep being like yesterday when it was a week ago. But I think last week I was like, oh, well, like why, why is marriage the angle? Like, why, why marriage? Um, why? And that's the same with The Bachelorette. Like, it just is connected. Like, why, why is, like, being with someone the end goal? And I, but at the same time, I do think that, like, Little Women does a good job of kind of, not to be morbid, but it really does kind of lay out some different outcomes for, for people in general, but also women. So, like, like, two of them get married. One of them, like, spoiler for whatever reason you've never heard the story I feel like most people have either read or watched but someone does die and then (laughs) what'd you say Pate? this story came out like 100 years ago 200 years ago yeah like 150 yeah just you know Beth dies spoiler but not um and then like Joe well so like in the book Joe gets married but in like real life Louise May Alcock never married and, but I, I just think that this scene, that quote that, that you used as an example, just because my dreams are different than yours doesn't mean they're unimportant, is one that I always, like, sit with, I feel like, because um, to me, and I was actually talking to our friend Sam Young, who was on the Devil Wears Prada episode, when um, you wrote this question, page because I was like, oh my god, this is such a good question, and Sam, I don't want to, I agree with his perspective, but I want to name hit name it as his because um it was his he said it he was like well feminism is about choice and for all people of any gender identity and so in the case of these women it's about deciding to marry and like pursue a life with someone as your partner or like continuing your life on your own and in this case like I think Joe very much has the perspective of like, you're signing your life away. <laughs> like, she's like, why are you doing this? Like childhood's over, like all this stuff. And uh, it, it, it's true that even though they're so, so close, they have very different kind of dreams. And it's not like, it's very, it's actually to Amy and the two that do marry, Amy and Meg, marry into very different lifestyles. So Meg marries, um, a penniless tutor to quote the movie and then and then Amy marries uh, Lori who is obviously very wealthy and so in this case like it's clear I think it is important that Meg marries first as the example that like in this case it was of course with Amy it is for love as well but we can talk more about marriage as an economic proposition because that's an example that she uses but I think in the case of Meg it like is very much for like love and like willing to like struggle through life with someone and that's in my opinion, if that's, like, the choice and what someone wants to do, that's perfectly respectable as, like, someone who wants to go and sell stories and make a life of themselves. So, and then what, with the case of, like, stay-at-home moms or, like, homemakers or whatever words we're using to describe them, I think that, like, it's an incredibly valuable role in society, especially in one where, like, the reality is, like, in American society, like, we don't have, when, like, childcare isn't, included in our in our society when it's not like easily accessible then oftentimes one of one of the 
if if it's a two-parent household one of them is like likely going to stay home at some point in their in their in their children's lives to to care for them whether it's like first thing when they're a baby or until or like forever (laughs) forever is not the right word but you know what I mean like for their their children's entire um upbringing and I I mean the reality is like those are very very important roles and I think it is I appreciate this question so much Paige, because it I think encourages me to grapple with my own biases because like I'm the type of person where like I always want to work and I think the working woman is like what is like the kind of figurehead of the feminist movement but at the same time like and like I like my mother has worked my like more or less my entire life other than like when we were first born but like I also think that like again like like Sam said like I just think that phrase feminism is about choice like choosing to build a life with another person and oftentimes sacrifice your career and your aspirations for the sake of your children and your husband or your partner is as respectable as deciding to pursue a life, um, pursue a career, whether it's with a partner or on like pursuing a life as an individual Um, or whatever slew of combinations of those things there could be. So I, I don't know. I just think this question is important. And I think that Little Women does, the movie does a good job of highlighting different things to aspire to or dreams to have, dreams. Well, like you said, like, I think the key word is how it's, like, about choice. And there's a difference between expecting someone to stay at home mom and choosing that role for her if, like, she and her partner can, um, you know, do that and have that opportunity, which nowadays, like, it's pretty hard to like find that reality and it's like I was extremely lucky to have my mom be a stay-at-home mom and that was definitely like a blessing to grow up with um and you know recently she has told me that she like struggled thinking that as a feminist I was looking down on her a stay-at-home mom and like I had to explain to her like no that's what feminism is it's women having the choice to like pursue their passions and it just so happened that my mom wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and she was a great one shout out mom if you're listening I don't think she knows how to work Spotify but but like I said for me it's really about like the expectation because when I first was becoming a feminist I had some people that made comments about, well, what will your children do if they're being raised by a nanny? Like, they're going to have not as good of a childhood, or, like, you're going to affect your kids if you're not at home, and see apparently sexist, because you would never ask a man that. Right. And it's it's all about what you just said. It's, like, the choice, and if that is, like, what you want, then I think women should be empowered in that and I think that's what we see in Meg versus Joe because Joe thinks that being a mom is like well she obviously lived where it is expected if you marry and you have children like you are in charge of them and you have no money as we obviously see in Amy's economic or marriage is an economic proposition um speech whereas Meg fully like loves her husband and wants to do and I also really liked how you were able to like all these characters while seeing that like their flaws like Meg 
I think you could say she cared a lot about dresses and finer things and debutante balls, but she liked them in a way where you didn't find her snooty or like a diva. Like also in the end, she told it, she like chose love over having heaps of money. Yeah, definitely. And like, I never was like, wow, Meg, why do you want to like enjoy the finer things in life? Just like, and I, I read this in like one of the articles, all their different like flaws, like Meg, I guess was like a diva and Joe had a hot head and I don't know what was wrong with Beth. I would say her flaw is that she was too generous because that's how she ended up dying. Scarlet fever is because she was being too, well, maybe not too generous, but she's just selfless. You know, yeah. Maybe to a flaw. And then Amy, she was materialistic, but I would say she just was kind of bratty in the beginning and she had like the best character arc. Hot take me um but all to say like I think Joe and Meg really represent the difference between the choice of being a mother and the expectation of being a mother very well in this movie yeah I figure since we're referencing this economic quote that Amy gives we might as well talk about it a little bit also I have a little fun fact about it um that Amazon behind this behind the story or whatever behind the scenes whatever it's called but I'll read it trivia so, so just to set the scene yeah oh Amazon trivia there's this little set um just to set the scene so this is in adulthood and Amy is in Paris with um great aunt March I almost just called her grandma March great aunt March and she's painting in her studio and she and Lori have gotten in kind of a fight earlier they had like reconnected and gotten this fight and um Lori is visiting her at her studio and giving her a hard time about the fact that she's going to marry this guy and she was like well I I believe that we have a say in who we love it doesn't just happen and Lori's like well I think the poets would disagree that's a paraphrased version um and then she says quote I'm not a poet I'm a woman and as a woman there's no way for me to take my to make my own money not enough to earn a living or to support my family and if I had my own money which I don't that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married and if we had children they would be his not mine they would be his property so don't sit there and tell me that marriage is an economic proposition because it is it may not be for you but it certainly is for me and so end quote um, and apparently this script change was Meryl's idea because she wanted, they literally apparently wrote it like moments before this, they shot the scene and literally like Greta Gerwig like handed it to uh, Florence Pugh on like a, like scribbled on a paper napkin. And it was, so it wasn't in the initial script. Basically after um, working and talking with Greta, Meryl was like, there needs to be, well, here's the quote from the trivia thing. Quote, there needs to be a moment in this movie that gave modern audiences the opportunity to understand the true powerlessness of women in that period. Not only could they not vote or work, but through marriage, they would lose ownership of their money, property, and children. So I, I think that like these distinct script changes and just even plot changes are so important because I think they're allowing 
one, what's the, what's the point? <laughs> Honestly, what's the point of recreating a movie that's been made six times if you're not going to put like at least somewhat of a modern spin on it? And I'd argue that like there definitely is room for growth in, in, in these adaptations. But at the same time, like I think this speech, I was just like, yes. Like I was like, okay, yes, thank God. And she's also just putting him in his place and also like the men in this film, like are not relevant without their connections to the March sisters. And that's the tea. So I just think that like, I don't know, it's just such a huge point. And I think Meryl was spot on to push for it. We stand our queen. I wonder Pete, if it makes sense, just since we're talking about marriage, if it makes sense for us to talk about the end of the movie. Yeah, like, the I questions have a lot about of the thoughts. Ma- for those of you who don't know, I guess, I think it's, I, I think it's well laid out in the film personally, but basically in the book, she marries this professor dude. I don't remember his name. Frederick, that's his name. She marries him, but in the, in real life, she never married. Like that's the whole conversation with the, with the publisher where he's like, just marry, like, just marry her off. Just do it. Like give this ending. This is the ending that people are going to want. And she's like, but she doesn't marry. Like she doesn't, that's, that's not true. And he's like, just do it. And she's like, okay, fine. But like only if I can get like this amount of royalties and like own my book, like have the copyright, blah, blah, blah. And so she, it is like this, spin on an ending where like the way that it was described in the articles I read was it was like extending the plot it wasn't like writing a new story because the end of the book is illustrated very much so but it's it's more so a a movie about which the book is too but not with a correct ending it's more so a story about Louise May Alcott um as opposed to a story about Joe March so you really at the end it honestly reminds me a little bit of how we think about Eliza and like Lin-Manuel Miranda at that very last part of the scene I feel like this is like Greta and I've never actually thought about it this way but I am as I'm talking about it like it is like Greta and Louise May Alcott having this moment like the director like the writer and the director and the focal point the the I don't know the main character (laughs) but like the 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 person like that like an actual person being like I'm doing your story justice to in a way that it hadn't been done like it had like your story had not been told this way which is true like little women had never been told in a way that was like true to Louise May Alcott's life and I don't know I guess for me I think this I would love to hear your thoughts but I I just think that the ending the difference between the ending in the novel and the end of the film change the conversation when it comes to whether or not Little Women could be considered a feminist film. Um, I just love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so my big thing is I keep questioning, like I think I watched a Watch Mojo video on the different things that the 2019 film did right and did wrong. Um, and they had an interesting point about Beth, which I can talk about later. But so film I feel like they do a really good job of kind of being a mystery as to what the end is because when I first watched it the first time I was like oh so she married the French professor and they opened up that school like that actually happened but watching it now it's more of a question of did she just write that and is that just in her book and she continues to live her life Um, because you know I think 
even if she did, even if they did actually get married, um, I think it's important the fact that she, the movie ends with her book. It doesn't end with the, the nice, like nicely wrapped present of them getting married and being in the, in the school. But also I noticed when she was like printing her book, she didn't have a ring on her finger. So I'm like, that makes me think that that didn't actually happen. But I just get taken back to the scene when she's in the attic with her mom and she talks about how women are more than just wives. They're more than just dresses. They are like smart people, but she's still lonely. And I think that is a really interesting point. And it's so true because like, like you said in Twilight the other week, how marriage shouldn't be the end goal, but we we are as humans, we crave relationships and we want to like have people in our lives. And we want to have like romantic partners, I think, like not necessarily like marriage. And I don't think it completes you as we see Joe's character. Like she doesn't need a man to complete her, but at the end of the day, she still gets lonely. Also, wait, sorry, before I say my thought, can you just say, um, um, I think that speaks so much to the time period too, because like, while there definitely is still stigma surrounding, like today, surrounding a single, any, like, honestly, I would argue that there's like certain like careers you can't pursue if you don't have a spouse to begin with. Like, I just think like, like thinking about like president of the United States, like we are not going to, to elect a bachelor to the president of the United States. Like, I just think about when Cory Booker just was lulled. running. I was just thinking about, like, when Cory Booker was running, like, I was like, they're not going to take him because he doesn't have a wife. And that just is too, like, scandalous, which I just think is bullshit. But, like, anyway, we're not talking about men. Um, I... <laughs> Nelly said, this is little women. <laughs> well, I stand Timothy by the fact Chalamet. that... Yeah, like, I do stand by the fact that Lori and, like, Grandpa grandpa Lori's grandpa and like grandpa Lori grandpa Lawrence and then like the dad or whatever the March dad they're all irrelevant if like obviously they're all irrelevant except for their connections to the March sisters so like I don't really care about the men in this movie I love Timothy Chalamet but anyway I do think that like what you're saying earlier about um Joe being lonely in that quotable moment is so much I feel like it so much speaks to like the time because while today, like I do think that there's a level of adversity. One, if you're living in a single income household to begin with, like that's, there's like, it is an economic proposition today, even still, just even if like the wealth is divided, it's still like amongst the household evenly, it still is just like easier to get by when you're sharing the wealth with another person. But then also just like, I think there is very much still stigma between a single woman just like continuing through life without marrying or having, or having children. And so, but I do think that like, if Joe or Louise May Alcott, either of them were living in like a modern day society, I do think that like, she would be significantly less lonely. I think that is speaking more so to like the fact that everyone in her, like everyone close in her life that like lives, sorry to be morbid, but like marries, like that is the case. And that is, that, that is the truth with Louise May Alcott. Yeah. Like, she never married. That's so true. And so Louise May Alcott, I do think it's like, it's very much, I don't know for sure that that, 
I should check this, but I don't know for sure that that line is like directly from the book, but I do think that like, regardless of whether or not it is, I think it does draw attention to kind of similar to what Meryl Streep was trying to draw attention to with the economic thing. It just is that like, this is the expectation of society. And if like, you don't, if you don't do it, like you're going to have some, you're going to face some level of adversity, whether it's economic um, or probably both, (laughs) probably both economic and I don't know, just like social, social adversity. Well, I think it's also good that they added this really strong female character who's able to be vulnerable about that sort of thing. Because I think nowadays we, I mean, like, at least me, hello, we're like, man, I hate men, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, we have that. And then, but it's also, it is okay to be lonely. And I think it's important to see these strong women characters expressing that vulnerability in like a raw way a raw way and I don't think she necessarily Joe in this moment wasn't saying I want a man she was just saying I'm a woman I'm intelligent but I'm also lonely and I think that's important to like be well, able and to I think see if that she, I think if she had it her way she would have just gotten to live with her sisters for the rest of her life like I, yeah. I don't think she was trying I don't think she's like I she's just like I'm lonely because people have gone off to do other things and she went off to do other things too, but I think she didn't, she wasn't like sharing her life with someone. And I do think that like, to me, that's the only thing that is appealing about marriage is like companionship. Like, yeah, I'm not like, I need a man to be like valid in this world. Like, but I do think it's nice. Like it is definitely appealing to me to be like, Hey, like this is my person. Um, so if I don't find a man, I will simply just be finding a pal to roommate with for the rest of my life, or I'll just live with my mom. And I think your you, your point is really true. Now that I'm thinking about it, because she's like, maybe I'll just marry Lori. You think he'll ask me to marry him again? And that's obviously her wanting a companion. And she not, doesn't love she doesn't love him that way. She loves right. him, but she doesn't love him right. that way, and that's clear. And there is speculation of whether or not Louise Mayalcott was a lesbian, and like. Obviously, that was not acceptable at the time, but, like, regardless of her sexuality, it's true that, like, she just did not want to marry Lori. Like, that's the one thing we do know for a fact. Or, like, I think his name is Ernest in real life. Yeah, she should have hung out with Emily Dickinson. She was also speculated to be a lesbian. Yeah. And a woman writer during the Civil War. So, just real quick, I want to kind of talk a little bit. One of the main critiques about the movie is just that it had, or not critiques, complaints. It's just that it doesn't attract a male audience whatsoever. And I think this kind of speaks actually, again, similar to what we talked about last week, that like the women audience is really so valuable. Um, There was this quote from that same article that I talked about earlier. Let me read it. Little Women is about resourcefulness, power, and imagination of women. The notion that Gerwig's movie needs male ticket buyers to affirm its quality is ridiculous. That was the quote. And I was like, yeah, true. Like, I, I think that, one, I do think, like, even though I've been like, haha, like, <laughs> these men are irrelevant without their connections, to their intersections with these women, which is facts, but obviously that's because of the nature of the story. Like, the reality is Marmee runs that household, and that man is, re- like, irrelevant without her, and if that is offensive to any men, and they don't want to watch the movie for that reason, like, Welcome cool. to life you. as a woman. Right. Like in also every movie. Welcome, like, uh, like, but also just like, okay, then don't watch it. Like, fuck you. 
I don't know. I Honestly, I literally didn't recognize the dad, and I thought he was the preacher when Meg and John got married. I couldn't even recognize the dad. He is the preacher. Oh, God well. marries them. Oh, he did? Oops, I think he so might I guess be. I did now. It's possible in real life he was a minister. An Alpen. But he did definitely marry them. That was okay, well, then But again, sweet. we really see him, like, thrice, so... Um, but I do like how he, like, when he says, my little women, I don't know why, but that gets me all, like, teary-eyed. I just think that's really sweet. I also do think it's, like, saying, like, like, I think holding, like, when you hold girls to the standard of women, it just is, like, respectful. I don't know. The OG respectful dad. (laughs) So I think we've definitely mentioned this in our conversation, but the reality is this is a movie about four white women and their quest as sisters and how they navigate life and love and passions and dreams. And while it is super empowering to watch for me and for Nellie, we were, oh, it's like such a great movie. One of Nellie's favorites. You know, I can't help but think how a black person watches this and can't identify or see themselves characters. Did you just hear Posey bark in the background? She's going off. She's like, yes, queen, answer the question. So I guess, <clears throat> how does one grapple with this notion that this movie is centered around white women? I don't know, Posey. I don't know. Ask, like, Oh, enlighten us. Uh, well, yeah, this is definitely something that I feel like I've grappled with because, like I said, I really do love this movie. and It's, like, one of my favorite movies. But I also, like you said, Pete, that is very, like, I really have the privilege of being connected to this movie because, like, not only am I a white woman, I'm also, like, literally from the place where this was set. So, like... Shout out New England. And so I feel like... But I really did appreciate being able to read about this and just, like, the the ways in which... And this is what I said earlier. I do think that, like, even though this was the seventh adaptation, I either think that, like, one, there just don't need to be any more (laughs) and money should be going into other things that are more representative and um, telling beyond the white women experience of the Civil War or at least, like, grappling with these things within this context because that same Atlantic article that I was reading was talking about how like it's clear that these women know that the civil war is happening and what it's about because their father is often fighting in it and so they're like okay well if they know that here let me see if I can find it there was like something talking about how if like the March sisters knew full well like what this like what the because again like they are relatively young like I know that this grown-ass woman playing them but like it's set in their childhood and they are like relatively young, but they're also at an age where like, I think I, again, as a privileged white woman, I'm like able to avoid, not avoid, but able, like given my identity, not having to necessarily grapple with these until um, an older age. Like I do think that like, this is around the time where you're like, perhaps as a white woman first having these conversations. But I think if like their fathers are fighting in the civil war and like, they are like, well-read and intelligent educated people they should know what it's about um which they clearly do because both their parents are well engaged with it like if that's the case then like 
they should know that like the Christmas breakfast that they're having was basically like the language was like they're able to have that because of the economy that was built on the backs of slaves. And so like there's so much more like these issues are so interconnected through this film, even though it seems like this film, like this film does avoid really directly talking about this issue. And that to me is why, and and I know we're going to transition into this conversation, but I would make the argument that like there are feminist elements of the film, but it is not inherently like intersectionally feminist. And I really don't want to call something feminist if it's not intersectionally feminist. And that's the reality. Like, even though it's my favorite film, like I don't think if it's inclusive of all intersections of identity, then just if it only, if it only like speaks to me and really in particular, if it only speaks to white women, it's not enough. Um, and while I think it does a good job of, of putting a spin on an absolute classic and like someone who really paved the way for women writers and um, just like women creators, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a lot to grapple with, especially just because of how recent the movie was. And um, I don't know. It's definitely not ideal. And I'm not going to pretend like, like as much as I love it and it's like a favorite film of mine. I'm not going to pretend like it is representative. I'm not even going to attempt to make that argument, but, and it's clear that like, I, I just do think it is like the culmination of white feminism because these women are, and I think part of why I love it so much is like, I'm not making excuses for myself, but it is like nostalgia in terms of the story and also like the setting, quite frankly, because it literally is set like where I live. So like I've been to a lot of the places that are in the movie so I'm able to connect on it like an intense level, but I, like you said, Pate, like if you're a black person from anywhere, <laughs> you're not gonna be able to connect to it. Um, so I don't know, or just like a BIPOC individual. Um, I don't know. It just, it, I, I really do think we should kind of close the book on little women and be telling other stories. Like that's my opinion. I think you could, there's still areas of growth and that you could retell little women in a way that, potentially could be more representative but at the same time it's still going to be like stories of adversity told through the told through the mouths of white women and that just isn't good either so for me I'm just kind of like let's close the book like this was like the best we could probably do in terms of telling Louisa May Alcott's story but like now we're done like that's my opinion so and I think I just answered the is this movie feminist question so maybe we want to answer these twofold if you want Pete. Um, so I guess I'll, yeah, answer both of these questions in one. Um, I think your point about closing the book on Little Women is really, it's just, it's true. Like, we, it, it's a great story, and it, it is heartfelt to watch, and I think you can learn a lot about marriage, and I think it's a great perspective from a woman in that time. But we don't need any more of that because we, ha- we already have a lot of adaptations of Little Women and this one was great and I really liked it, but I totally agree with what you said. Like, it's time to find other, you know, forms of media that we can support that are more inclusive. For instance, Netflix is um, kind of 
Netflix is doing this new TV show called Bridgerton, and it's basically a gossip girl in Pride and Prejudice times, but they have characters that are of all different ethnicities, and the Black characters aren't just slaves or servants. They're the dukes, and they're the princesses, and they're the debutantes as well. And I think that is so important for representation because, like, because it's historical fiction doesn't mean it has to stick to the facts of history where only white people could be the characters, especially if it's fictional. Like, I think there's so much to gain when you add people of color in your cast as dukes and as princesses. And it's like mainly for the people watching it so that people can like see themselves in these roles because I mean, you and I will never be a duke or a duchess, and but we can still watch movies where people like us are. And um, so I think while this adaptation of Little Women, like you said, is able to give that twist of feminism that it needed, that the book was lacking, I think there's there's not much more that you can do in this point to make it even more feminist. Yeah. Yeah, I think you would have to really change the plot. And in that, if that's going to happen, it just needs to be a different movie. And I just think, like, if you're going to change the plot that much, like, it just, like, close the book. We're done. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I'm glad that we're able to think critically about that. Um, I I really do love this movie and, like, respect the work of Greta Gerwig. Um, And I think, like, just everyone in this cast is amazing. But I also think that, like, I'm excited to see the their careers grow beyond this just because I think it and that they already have um but I just think it needs to be different also give all those actresses an Oscar I know they were actually nominated for the Oscars I don't know if they won but the girl that plays Beth plays Ama in Sharp Objects and I don't know if anyone has watched that. It's my favorite book. And Ama is literally the most evil character I've ever seen. Like, Amy from Gone Girl, but worse. And Ooh. I can say that because it's the same author who wrote these evil women characters. So that um, is super impressive that she can play sweet Beth and then crazy Ama. Give her an Oscar. Give them all Oscars. Because... Amy was also the main character in Midsummer, which fans I've been trying to get Nellie to watch for a while. I think we could have an interesting talk about it on the pod. Let us know. Yeah, what we're you gonna think. do it at some point for sure. Nellie's like, I don't. The like election got movies. in our like the election like like consumed my brain around. We we're gonna do it around Halloween because a little spoopy, but um, <laughs> but with, anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, why don't we move into our action items? You want to? Yes. So I have an action item. So like in this, in the theme of like Massachusetts literary organizations, um, I'm plugging 826 Boston. I'm just going to read their mission for y'all. 826 Boston is a nonprofit youth writing and publishing organization that empowers traditionally underserved students ages 6 to 18 to find their voices, tell their stories, and gain communication skills to succeed in school and life. And uh, our services are structured around the understanding that great great leaps in learning can happen with one-on-one 
attention, and that strong writing skills are foundational to future success. With this understanding in mind, we provide after-school tutoring, field trips, creative writing workshops, in-school tutoring, help for English language learners, and in-depth publishing projects. Each of our free programs seeks to empower students to express their ideas effectively, creatively, confidently, and in their individual voices. Um, so to find, find out more about where 826 Boston is going and to contribute to their work in some way, I encourage you to head to their website. So also you can give. Um, I want to note that this episode is coming out on Cyber Monday, but tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. So I know that we often plug organizations on this podcast and I hope that you at least check them out, but I really do want to encourage you to donate to some organization for Giving Tuesday just because I think we spend all this money on, well, you may not, but <laughs> I think Black Friday and Cyber Monday and the whole stretch of time is all about getting your Christmas gifts or your holiday gifts or just buying something nice for yourself, which I do encourage, but I also think that like support small businesses and also support nonprofits and, and make a donation even if it's as small as the cheapest gift that you've bought <laughs> in this time. So um, I'm plugging 826 Boston and Pete, I'll turn it over to you for your action item. I am plugging this week Girls on the Run uh, just because I was thinking about, I never, I don't have sisters, um, but the, uh, the Sisters and Little Women just made me want to find an organization that empowered especially young girls because we watched them grow up. So Girls on the Run, it's an after-school program designed to inspire girls of all abilities to recognize and embrace their inner strength, and they teach them lessons emphasizing the connection between physical and emotional health. And um, they've also now gone into deeper things and um, have, you know, workshop on um, diversity and um, inclusivity and lessons that are important to learn at a young age, especially um, in times like now. So if you're interested in that, you can donate or you could volunteer your time. I'm not sure how they're doing it with COVID, but pre-COVID um, women could volunteer and help be a mentor to young girls and just go to girlsontherun.org to find out more about what they do and how you can help. Great. Well, considering we've already read one of these badass quotes and you referenced another one I would love to actually read that one if that's okay with you yes because please I, I love that one please I that was hoping one, say that. I cry every time I yeah get and I just think it's like the culmination of of really the the message and truly the the change that Greta Gerwig decided to make to make this movie what it was and and distinct from its peers so this is a quote from Joe we Pete referenced it earlier um, she's having a conversation with Marmy in, in the attic and she says, oh, wait, Pete, do you want to read it? Sure. Okay. Okay. I, okay. I set the stage. Now Pete's going to read it. Sorry. Okay. I was like, I've already read quotes. You read it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks, sis. Joe says, women, they have minds and they have souls as well as just hearts. And they've got ambition and they've got talent as well as just beauty. And I'm so sick of people saying that love is just all that a woman is fit for. I'm just sick of it. This has been Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. See you next week.
Bye. Bye, court jester. Maybe Quinn will be on next week. I don't know. <laughs>